You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see smiling faces here this morning. Uh, It's also good to be wearing long sleeves for the first time in months. And I don't even need a towel to dry the perspiration. So if you're visiting with us today, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, I see quite a few new faces here today, which is always good. And uh, welcome. So we're glad you're here. Make sure you stop by the foyer, by the way. We have a welcome table out there with a lot of good information. So if you haven't been out here today, I just want to call your attention. There's actually some welcome cards out there as well. We'd love you to fill out so we know more about you. But uh, today we're wrapping up our sermon series that we've called A Beautiful Design. And it's actually a sermon series that we borrowed from a church in uh, Texas. Now, are there any Texans here? Wow, more than I thought. No offense, you know, no offense if you're a Texan. Uh, I remember the Alamo like everyone else. But have you ever heard that everything's bigger in Texas? And that also applies to church sermons. Church sermons are bigger in Texas. They're longer. Brian sent me the video clip of the, the, the preacher at this village church that created this series, and he was quite verbose. And he took about 12 sermons, what we're actually getting through in, what, five or six sermons. Uh, we had to adapt it for Southern California and our shorter attention span. Uh, but thanks to the village church for, for inspiring us. There's a lot of material, so we're going to jump in here. And we've been focused on God's design for men and for women. And what he intended for us to be. And ultimately how we've fallen short of his design and redeemed to a new life through Jesus, as Dustin talked about last week. And what we've seen so far is that God is very deliberate in his design of man and woman. We are made in his image, both male and female, as it says in Genesis chapter 1. They're equally important in his design. But God designed man to be a cultivator and to be a steward of God's creation, a protector and a giver, not a taker. The woman, on the other hand, was designed to be what the Bible calls a suitable helper, because it's not good for the man to be alone, right, men? I mean, it's not good, trust me. But woman is made in the pattern of God, who is also a helper. He is man's helper as well, so a woman is a helper of a man. And when you have man and woman working together as God intended, it's a beautiful thing. They're perfectly complementary when we're fulfilling our design. However, as we know the story in Genesis, man chose to reject God's design, right? Adam was passive while his wife Eve blatantly disobeyed the one single rule that God put forward. And sin entered the world and man was cursed as a result of that sin. And we're still cursed today. But God has provided redemption for us through his son, as Dustin said. Redemption comes through Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for our sins, as we talked about, Steve talked about in communion today. Uh, And so all the sins from Adam and Eve onward can be forgiven through Jesus. And we get the credit for his perfect life. Now, you may be the soft-hearted type that says, wow, that's awesome. That sounds so beautiful. I'm so inspired by what Jesus did for me. How can I be more like God designed me to be? Maybe you're soft-hearted. 
Or maybe you're like most people who are more cynical, like me, and you say, ah, I'm not sure, sure. I mean, I understand there's an ideal for man and an ideal for woman, but we all fall short of the ideal. I know I fall short of the ideal. How could he even go about being the ideal man in a world that's so largely agnostic today, right? So secular. How could I even do that? And if you're saying that or you're thinking that, you're actually correct. You cannot become a godly man or woman on your own. Because living out God's beautiful design is something that we need to do together, right? We need each other. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon writes about how two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, one of them can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. So it's good to be together. God created us to rely on each other. And that's the subject of my sermon today, which I've entitled Together for the Gospel. Now, we're going to really roll up our sleeves today, at least figuratively roll up our sleeves, and really get practical about how we can live out God's design uh, together. And specifically, we're going to talk about how we can live out God's design in three specific places. Number one, how can we live out God's design right in our home, in our families? Number two, how can we live out the design in our church? And then finally, how can we live out God's design in the world around us? Those are the three points I'm going to cover today. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we just uh, ask you to be with us today. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures about your design, and I just pray, God, that we come away with not only a good understanding of what you've designed us to be, but making decisions, God, for how we want to live out your plan and your design in our own lives, God. I just pray you'll be with us. Open our hearts today to what you have to show us in the scriptures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start right at home with our families. Okay, right when we get home, we take off our church face. We are who we really are in the home. That's where God's beautiful design needs to begin, right? So I'm going to share a little three-minute video clip here of a family that you may be able to relate to. So sure, we're going to cue this thing up here. Here we go. And then we'll get going. No. Okay. Hey, what? you just lay out their clothes because it takes me five minutes. Honey, That's perfect. Seriously. Jack. Well, we're already late for church. Hey, you Brian. Go get yourself dressed. Did you pick up my stuff from the dry cleaners? Uh, oh, Jack, I'm gonna make you waffles. Can I have a sandwich? Yes, but you gotta make it by yourself. 
back. Okay. This is all I could find, and the zipper's broken. All right, I'll go grab a safety pin. I got the high score! Hannah, what are you doing? Daddy, I'm painting your fingernails. Well, that's great, sweetie, but go get dressed. Everybody needs to eat. Here you go. I need one. Here you go. Okay, here you go. I forgot my shoes. Oh. Honey, we gotta go no. back. I wanna take off my shoes. Nobody's taking off their shoes. And I want everybody to understand that we're <gasps> what? We made it. Yep. <laughs> yes. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? That was based on the Steberg family on Sunday morning. Any of you relate? Any families relate to that? All right, see, so if you're a family, raise your hand. That looks like, oh my gosh, it's like most of the room. So high five the person next to you that you made it here this morning. Amen. Great work, you made it. But let's keep it real, right? I mean, we all know that our home life can be messy at times, right? Right? You, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. That joyful aura that we send off at church isn't always reflective of what's really going on, right, behind the scenes. It's very true. So let's look at a Bible verse about godly families. So it says in Colossians uh, chapter 3, you know, Paul talks about the rules for a Christian household. And starting in verse 18, Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then fathers, do not embitter your children, for they will become discouraged. So just think for a minute, if your family actually looked like that, like it just said in the Bible there in Colossians, the husband would be emotionally engaged with his wife and with his kids, and building them up, not tearing them down. The wife is encouraging to her husband and is helping him to be a leader in his house. The children respect their parents and they understand where the boundaries are and they don't cross them without consequences. You know, a family that's living God's design together is a beautiful thing. God created man and woman to be equal but to have complementary roles. And when you see his design being lived out in a family, no one's perfect, but when you see people trying to live it out, it is something to behold. It really is. And for those cynical folks, you might be saying, well, gee, Wally, I don't know if I could do that because I'm not leave it to beaver, right? It kind of seems like old-fashioned to live this way. 
But you can have a godly family right here in Southern California in 2015. It doesn't have to be Leave it to Beaver, right? You can do it, but the world has largely written off the idea of a godly family. They have. So, you know, in Genesis 2.15, I'm going to start this morning by talking to the men. And I've got quite a bit to say to the men this morning, because who did God create first? Man. So let's start with man. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to think about when you're a man. So it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to take care of it. So God designed man to be a cultivator, and he designed him to take care of his creation. And that includes our families. And believe me, it's an ugly thing, isn't it, when a man is not living out God's design in that area as a cultivator and as a caretaker of God's creation. I've seen it many times. In my professional life, I've seen it. You know, I've seen men that sacrifice their, their marriages and sacrifice their families on the altar of their career. I've seen it. And they justify their absence from their family by saying, well, I'm providing for them. They have everything they need. But actually, they don't have everything they need. They don't have the thing that they want the most, which is the engagement and the attention and the love of their father in the home. I've seen a lot of men who are self-consumed, you know, who are thinking about themselves. There's nothing like the biblical picture of what God designed a man to be. A lot of men that are thinking about their own needs, just like a little boy would think of his needs constantly, right? And these men are really trapped in boys. <laughs> they're, they're boys trapped in men's bodies in many cases. They're kind of like boys that shave. And as Steve Ricci pointed out a few weeks ago, being biologically male does not make you a man by any stretch. Not a godly man. Being a godly man is not easy, and it takes daily decisions to lay down your life for those around you and to put your own needs second. So married men, talk to you for a minute. If you're not providing for your wife and your family and protecting your wife and your family, particularly your wife, how can you expect her to live out her role as a suitable helper to you? I mean, put yourself in her shoes for a minute. Would you give yourself wholeheartedly to a man who doesn't have your back, to a man who's just thinking about himself, that doesn't really care about what's important to you or what you need? No way! You'd never give your heart to a man like that. Single men. Do we have any single men here? Few. Good. We have some here. I mean, are you encouraging and protecting to the women around you? Now, do you see them as God's creation, as God's daughters, so to speak? And they need to be respected and they need to be cared for. Now, fortunately, the Bible actually has a lot of practical advice on how to be a godly man. And it starts in Titus 2. In Titus, it talks about the characteristics of a godly man. And just look at some of the words. Temperate. Worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in endurance, integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech. So do these things describe you, men? Don't ask yourself, better yet, ask somebody that knows you really well. Does this describe you as a man? We also see in Ephesians 5 what a real man does as a husband. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
It's another level of love, sacrificial love, right? That's what characterizes a godly husband. So I said we're going to get practical, men, so I'm going to give you some practicals on how you can live out God's design as a godly man. First thing I would tell you, men, you have to engage emotionally. <laughs> you have to engage emotionally. Yes, it's going to feel foreign because the world trains men to not feel anything. It trains men to not be in touch with their emotions. I still struggle with being in touch with my emotions. I work on it. It was funny, when we first got married, me and I, uh, a while ago, uh, you know, I could not articulate to me how I was feeling. I did not, literally did not know how to do it. I did not know how to put into words how I was feeling. And I'd get all these emotions and feelings when I, you know, newly married person. And finally Mia was, she's, a, she's an astute lady. She began to give me multiple choice. <laughs> she said, okay, Mark, do you feel A, angry, B, frustrated, C, sad, or D, all of the above? I'm like, ah, uh, D. So, man, we got to allow ourselves to feel. You know, we got to take the time every day to ask how we're feeling, but most importantly, ask your wife, how are you feeling today? Kids, how are you feeling today? Tell me about your day, and then really listen to them. We need to engage emotionally if we want to be a real man of God. And I know it's hard, but we have to. We have to lead spiritually. Okay, married men. You should lead your family, in my opinion, you should lead your family in a family devotional at least once per week. At least once per week. Now, it was funny because yesterday I was meeting with Mark Sujimoto and Sheila, and, and when Mark came out to church for the first time, they said, hey, we're going to have a Devo. And Mark's like, cool, whip it good, right? He thought it was literally a band. <laughs> but devotional, what is... <laughs> Those of you that are the 80s, the 80s people got that, right? If you grew up in the 80s, you understand. Whip it good. Devo. Just making sure you're paying attention. So, man, what is a Devo? Don't overthink this, right? It, yes, it may feel weird. It may feel hypocritical, especially if you haven't been, be, been leading spiritually in your family to this point. I grant you that. But this is what a Devo is in its most simple form. Open your Bible. Read a scripture. Talk about it as a family and pray together. Okay, repeat. Open your Bible, read a scripture, talk about it, and then pray. Right? It, that, that's, that's a family devo. It does not have to be long. It doesn't have to be a sermon, man. It's just opening the Bible in your home. And, you know, it's hard for men. I get it. You know, God will bless your effort if you just try. You know, true story. I, I have a friend from high school. I'll change his name. Let's call him Dean. Dean is uh, taking his family to church back in Iowa where I grew up, which I, I appreciate. And he's probably listening to this on podcasts, and I promised I'd talk about him, so I'm talking about him. But we talked to his wife recently, and his wife said, you know, Dean refuses to pray out loud with other men. He won't pray out loud. He refuses. And he refuses to pray out loud with our family. He just won't do it. Now, he's trying, right? He's taking his family to church, but he won't pray because he's a manly man. Feels weird to pray out loud. Yes, at first it does. But you have to push through your insecurity and your pride, men. And God will bless it. Trust me, he will. And you can get more creative with more experience on Devos, by the way. I mean, we set aside every Monday night as our family devotional tonight. And just that's the time we do it. And lately our boys have been into acting. They love to act out scenes in the Bible, especially violent scenes in the Bible. An 11-year-old and 6-year-old boy. So imagine two boys acting out Abraham sacrificing Isaac. 
Yeah. Or marching around Jericho and raiding the city and destroying and pillaging the city. We did that one on the beach. That was fun. Imagine the angels destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, whatever. They love it. Just be creative. Have fun with it. So that's it. Married men, leave devos. Single men. Leading. Are you leading spiritually? Because you need to lead spiritually too with the women that God's put in your life. I mean, you're, are you encouraging and protecting the single women here in our church? Because we have an amazing group of single women here in our church. We do. They are laying down their lives for God. And they deserve to be treated like the daughters of God that they really are. I mean, write a, sing, a simple note to a sister with a scripture and encourage her. You know, team up with another brother and take a sister out on an encouragement date, you know. They're there. I mean, make it simple. Go to the beach and pray, anything. It's not hard. Just get off your rears, be a real man, and start encouraging. Provide materially. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work, the one who is unwilling to work, shall not eat. Now, things happen sometimes, man, I get it. Sometimes we get laid off, sometimes we got to look for new work, and that happens in life. That, that's just part of life. But we do have some men that are chronically unemployed, or chronically underemployed. And if the shoe fits, wear it here, men. God designed man to work and to provide. God himself works and provides. And we are made in his image. So you need to provide for your family. You know, the other thing I would just say beyond providing material, materially is you have to have relationships, men. You have to have relationships with other men who love Jesus. You can't do this on your own. I mean, you need advice and encouragement from other men who are doing the same thing that you're doing. Because we are in a war, men. We're in a war, a spiritual war. And you... You don't go into war by yourself, right? And sometimes we have to run in and save a wounded brother, right? Because somebody gets shot occasionally, often, right? And this is actually a true, a real picture in Fallujah where a Marine had been shot and his, his brother Marine was running out to pull him off the battlefield. A few minutes later, the, the Marine pulling him off was shot. But are you willing to run onto the battlefield, men, and save another brother when he's wounded? And it's just a matter of time, by the way, before you get wounded. <laughs> and when you get wounded and somebody runs onto the battlefield to save you, I'm amazed sometimes how we get attitudes. It's like, who are you to save me? Why are you talking to me that way? You're not living the life. Why can you? You can't critique me. You can't tell me anything, right? We get these attitudes, brothers. We need to humble out. And we need to accept the help from another soldier. Soldier. So get relationships. Men, we have to get off the couch and lead our families. Stop being passive. You should not be saying to yourself, oh, my kids will get their Bible teaching at church. You shouldn't be saying, my wife's the one that prays with my kids and reads the Bible to them. You shouldn't be saying, I'm just too sinful to set a spiritual example in my home. You shouldn't be saying, my wife will support us with her income. You shouldn't be saying, I just don't need to get deep with other men because I got it together. I'm fine. You shouldn't be saying, I can find a new wife if this one doesn't work out. No excuses, men, because there is no honor in being passive. Okay, I told you there was a lot for the men. Chew on that, men, for a while. Now I'm going to talk to the women. <laughs> women, the Bible has some good instruction for you on how to be godly women. 
It says in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God created man, women in his image to be a suitable helper and a companion, right? It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's what, that's what it says in Genesis. And by the way, like, as we've talked about, the helper is not a less important role. The helper is actually a very important role, and it's the image of God, because it says in the Bible that God is man's helper. And a woman is a helper of man just like God is. And I'm going to let the scriptures do the talking here, ladies, because there's a lot in the Bible about how to be a godly woman. It says in Titus, some good advice as well. Be reverent in the way you live. Not a slanderer. Not addicted to wine. Teaching what is good. Loving your husband and children. Self-controlled, pure, busy at home, kind, subject to your husband. Not maligning the word of God. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, women should dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. In other words, we should admire women for their faith and for their deeds, not how they dress or how they look. Married women. Proverbs 31. I'm not going to read it all because there's so much there, but it talks a lot about what a wife of noble character is like. Brings her husband good, not harm. Provides food for her family. Works vigorously. Helps those in needs. Makes sure her family is clothed. Makes coverings for her bed. My wife Mia has that. She has pillows. Lots of pillows. <laughs> she laughs at the days to come. She walks, watches over the affairs of her household. She fears the Lord. Right? A wife of noble character. First Peter talks about it in chapter 3. More descriptions of a godly woman. Purity. Reverence. A beautiful, gentle, quiet spirit, submissive to your husband. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes about how women should be. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And a lot of great advice there for wives. Single women, I don't want to leave you out. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What is a single woman like? Concerned about the Lord's affairs. Devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit undivided devotion to the Lord. And as I said, we have some great examples of godly single women in our church. The Vida, Betty, Kike, so many, they lay down their lives for God and for his church. They have undivided devotion to the Lord. So women, the beautiful design breaks down if you don't do your part. So here are some practicals for you as a woman. First thing I'd tell you is encourage and then encourage some more. And then encourage some more. <laughs> Married women, do you want your husband to be a provider and a protector? Do you want that? I think every woman does, right? Then here's some advice. Encourage him every single day, multiple times a day, as much as you can. This is something I promise you, you will never overdo. <laughs> you can never encourage your husband enough. And do not underestimate the power that your words have woman with your husband. You can make him a superhero or you can just cut him to pieces and you can undercut his authority in your household. And I know you don't want to do that. So encourage single women. Now, when you see a single man being a godly man, encourage him. If you have on the other side of the coin, a boy that shaves that's romantically interested in you, don't lower your standards. Call him higher challenge him, encourage him to become a man of God. It works. Men will rise to the occasion. Trust me. I did, right? I mean, my whole story, I came out to church not because I was interested in God, it's because I was interested in Mia. And I was not a godly man. And she said, well, why don't you come to church? I'm like, okay, I'll come to church. So I came to church 
and then decided to study the Bible. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to be a godly man. And as soon as I became a Christian, I, became, I was baptized, I became a disciple. I was like, okay, Mia, let's date. She's like, actually, I'd rather see you mature a little bit more spiritually first. I'm like, okay, what do I got to do? Where's some other godly men? Who can I be like? So two years later, I'm focused. I'm godly. I'm trying to do the right thing, right? Mess it up like crazy, but still trying to do the right thing. Then Mia starts taking an interest in me. Two years later, because I was being godly. And as soon as I knew that, I decided to have a relationship with her that was a protected, godly relationship and to cherish her, right? We decided we were going to have a pure dating relationship, unheard of in the world today. But the first time I kissed Mia was at the altar on our wedding day, which was the power of God. Trust me, it was. And the honeymoon was pretty good, as you can imagine. <laughs> Call men higher, sisters. Don't lower your standards. They will rise to the occasion. And if they don't, you don't want them anyway. Right. Second piece of advice. Older women, teach the younger women. Titus 2 talks about this. Women, you should seek out advice and training from women who have gone before you in whatever stage of life that you're in. My, we have, my, my, my wife, Mia, does this really well. I mean, she has so many amazing women that have gone before her and that help her. Karina Wingy, Jackie Marici, Mary Atkins, Elaine Johnson, Lana Kramer, Holly Toomey, so many others. I don't want to leave any others. There's a lot of them. So women, offer your counsel, offer your support to younger women and help them out. And the last piece of advice I'd give you as a woman is stay close to God. You got to stay close to God and get your strength from God. Your husband should be trying to engage. He should be engaging with you emotionally. But you know what? Your husband is not Jesus. He's never going to be Jesus. You need to make sure you have a strong relationship with God and with other godly women that can help you emotionally because we all need that help. So the beautiful design needs to be lived out together first in our families. But there's another crucial ingredient that a family needs to realize its God-given potential, which leads me to my second point, which, by the way, is shorter than the first point. You need to live out beautiful design together within a larger family of Christians that's called the church. That larger family of Christians is called the church. So let's look at a scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church is where God will really demonstrate his manifold wisdom. And what makes the church, I mean, so awe-inspiring to the heavenly realms? I don't know what a ruler and authority in the heavenly realms even is. I mean, I know there's God, I know there's Jesus. What else is up there? I don't know. Someday we'll find out. But they're in awe of the church. What makes the church so crucial to God's plan? And no matter what your background is, you may have your own concept of church based on your own experience. I mean, Growing up, I did not see the church as something awe-inspiring, <laughs> something that was even really relevant to my life. I mean, church for me brought up images of these 10 or 12 little old ladies in this white building. By the way, I found this, this picture. This is the church in the little town I grew up in, in Yale, Iowa, population 250. It's still there. Amazing to find a picture on the, you find anything on the internet these days. But this is what I think of when I, when, I, when I first come to church and when I thought about church. This is what came to my mind. These little old ladies standing out on that front door and saying, see you next Sunday. See you next Sunday. Peace be with you. 
There was no godly men there that I could imitate. They weren't really in people's lives. See you next Sunday. That was it. So here's what church is not meant to be, guys. It's not a place where you just check in every week and check the box. Yep, I was there. That's not what church is. It's not where you run in and run out without making any relationships. Or here's my favorite, and I've heard this. It's not a place where you come with the only expectation of being fed spiritually. As if the church was some sort of spiritual golden corral buffet or something. <laughs> right? That's not what it is. The Bible calls the church the very body of Jesus himself. And he arranges the parts of the body exactly how he wants it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And we begin to see in this scripture why the church is such a crucial component of God's beautiful design. Because the, bar, the parts of the body, they care about each other. And they go through life together. And they suffer and they rejoice together as they go. So men, do you want to live up to your God-given potential as a provider and a protector? Then I'll be blunt. <laughs> You're going to fail on your own. You will fail on your own. You cannot do this by yourself because when you're fulfilling God's design for a man, your days are going to be long. You're going to get tired. You're going to get discouraged sometimes. But that's why God gave you the church. That's why he gave you the church because you need other godly men who can encourage you, who can walk with you, who can hold you accountable. And that only comes through a healthy church. I mean, I am so grateful for the spiritual men in my life. I mean, this may seem crazy, but going from a business executive to a full-time minister has not been a simple transition for me. Um, I used to go to work, bring home the bacon. Mia took care of the house. I showed up at nights and weekends. She told me what to do, and it was good, right? Now we're working together full-time, which we love, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I love being in the ministry. But we're working full-time together all day, every day, and I know it's hard to believe, but that's created a few bumps. It's created a few, uh, some things have surfaced in my character that I need to work on. You know, and I so appreciate people like Steve Marici, men like Steve Marici and Brian Craig and Andy Wingy and Dave Atkins and Henry Kramer and Calvin Johnson and Mark Sujimoto and Paul Hammond and Dan Rowley and Tom Novak and goes on and on and on. So many godly men that I have in my life that need to set me straight sometimes and remind me what the Bible calls me to do. I mean, anger is something I struggle with. It is. And Steve Marichi reminds me in Colossians that you need to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility. So I cannot be a godly man without other help and encouragement from other men in my life. So women, let me talk to you. Do you want to live as God designed you? You know, as a suitable helper in the image of God. I don't have to tell you, that's not easy, right? It's not easy because men are weasels by design. You know, that's how they, they are. They're descendants. And I'm not trying to bash men, but men, when they're sinful nature, are not, they don't have your back, right? So it's hard to submit to somebody like that. But the church will help you to be a suitable helper that God designed you to be. You need the church. The church is a crucial component to God's beautiful design. He designed us to do this together. We can't do it our own. But the healthy church requires the commitment of its members. 
And the Bible gives us a beautiful description of the church in Acts chapter 2. You know, this is the first century church. This is the original. This is what it's supposed to look like. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, does this church sound like one where people just showed up on Sunday and checked the box? No, I mean, does it sound like uh, you go if your schedule allows it when you can, but hey, if you've got a conflict, you're dismissed, it's fine. That's not what it was like, right? We see people meeting together daily, eating together, praying together, you know, going through life together, worshiping together, meeting each other's material needs. And they were happy. They had glad and sincere hearts, it says. And it says they were devoted to this way of life. Because it takes a conscious effort and a commitment to live in a church, in a healthy church. And the church of Jesus is a way of life. Uh, it's not something you just do on Sunday or once a week for a couple of hours. So some practice for you when it comes to the church. First thing I'd tell you is be present. Be here. Participate. Hebrews, it says 12 here. It's actually Hebrews 10, verse 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some is in, some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, right? Church activities should take first priority. Even, and this is blasphemy, does anybody have stones? Don't stone me, okay? <laughs> should take priority over kids' sports. Really? Over kids' sports? Yes. Not that occasionally you'll have a game on Sunday. I get it. But if you miss church consistently because of kids' sports, there's something wrong. What message are you sending to your kids when sports are more important than God's church? Second piece of advice. Be an active part of a small group. We break down our church into smaller groups. We call them family groups of usually three to five families. And we call them family groups because... It helps us live it out. It helps us be in each other's lives and support one another. And if you're not in a family group, please talk to me, talk to Steve, talk to Brian. We'll help get you hooked up in, in, in a family group. You know, the third piece of advice is have a mentoring relationship. We call it a discipling relationship in our church. But have someone else in your, in your, in your life that's trying to live this out, that's trying to live as a godly man or woman, and have a set time on the calendar where you get together and encourage each other. And the last thing is be a giver, not a taker, you know. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Because you will get so much more out of it, guys, if you give. The church is not a golden corral. And we see in Acts 2 that the real church of Jesus in the Bible was attractive to people, right? It says that the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. People wanted to be part of it. The Bible says that the Lord was adding to their number daily, because the church inspired people, which leads me to my third and final point. A church that's committed to God's beautiful design will be a proclamation of good news to the world around you. I'll say that again. A church that's committed to God's beautiful design will be a proclamation of good news to the world. The Bible calls this proclamation of good news the gospel. The church should proclaim the gospel to the world around us. You see, if we're committed to living out God's design in our families, to being men and women of God, to making a church that, that really reinforces this and supports that, the church does become irresistible to the world around us. The church really does become good news to people. 
when they find it because they finally see Jesus through the church. That's how God designed it. It's his body. And people want to be part of it. You know, my story, when I started coming out to church, I don't know, 16 years ago, I was a single man, as I said earlier. I had just moved to California. I was lonely. I was looking for somewhere to make friends besides bars and besides parties and besides work, you know, other, other, somewhere else where I could meet good people. And I came to church and a singles family group took me under their wing. And I got to tell you, I had never seen anything like it, ever. Because, you know, I saw these single men and women who really loved God, number one, but they really, really enjoyed being together. And they, sh- they really proved that, hey, you can have tons of fun without getting wasted and without having extramarital relationships. They weren't doing those things, but they were still enjoying life together. I was so impressed by that. I was also so impressed by the Christian families that I saw. The real Christian families that were trying to live this out. Nobody's perfect, but they were trying. These kids would come to the door and meet me and give me a hug. I'm like, what? What are these? I've never seen this before, right? The wives would come and serve us coffee while we were studying the Bible. I'm like, I want one of those. How do I get one of those? I want to be part of this, right? Do the churches as we know them today enjoy the favor of the people? I mean, to the contrary, we're probably, I don't know, it seems to me like we're probably the most unchurched and the most secular generation to ever walk the face of the earth. We don't need church, many people. And let's not blame the unchurched people. Okay, let's not blame them and say, oh, they're just so evil and unspiritual. No. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look at our church and ask ourselves, are we irresistible to people? And if we're not, are we sharing what we really have? Are we keeping this gospel to ourselves? I mean, let's just review briefly what we have, right? We have the words of God himself in the Bible. Think about that. God has spoken to us, told us what we need to do as his followers, as disciples. And if you're visiting with us today, you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, or you don't know what it says, we'll sit down with you. We'll show you. We showed you what people showed us, what it says right in the Bible, what we need to do to be saved. It's there. We'll sit down and do personal Bible studies. So we have that going for us, which is nice. We're a family. Right? We have the church here that really build relationships. My best friends are here, right? We get tons of help with our marriages and with our parenting. How many of you have been enjoying, parents, have you been enjoying the midweek series we're doing on boundaries with kids? Oh my gosh. This has been a game changer for Mia and me and our parenting. I feel so much more confident now about what I'm doing as a parent. My favorite phrase is, I'm sorry, son, you decided to do that, but... The consequence is dot, 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 right? It's life-changing. We have so much. Most importantly, we have the promise of going to heaven if we stay faithful, right? We have so much. God's beautiful design is irresistible to people who will really investigate it and give it a chance. And it's what our world so desperately needs today. Matthew chapter 5, as we wrap it up, we are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're the salt of the earth. God wants us to flavor the world around us. We're the light of the world. And we will give light to people that see us. 
To those who see us living out God's beautiful design, they'll know that that could only be God working, for, working through us, right? I mean, what's going to change the world, guys? What else is going to save us from ourselves? I mean, just think about it. Would we have so much gang activities and murders if fathers were emotionally engaged with their sons? Would we? Would we have so much divorce if husbands were emotionally engaged with their wives? Would we have so many angry and just, I'd say, just adulterous and disengaged men if women really respected men and encouraged them? Would we have children in our own country being sold as sex slaves to meet men's needs, right? If men were living as real men, not boys that shave. Would we have ISIS crucifying Christians in the Middle East if those nations knew about the beautiful design? I mean, think, we would, have, would we have terrorists flying airliners into office buildings? Would we have two young men lighting off a bomb during a marathon? Would we have tormented young men going into schools and opening fire on children? I mean, campus shootings becoming a weekly event. So much we just, we just tune it out. 47 so far in 2015 alone. Think about a 12-year-old boy being crucified for his faith in front of his father in Syria. What else is going to save us from this? A self-help book? A new philosophy? Government. A new government program. More education. No. What's going to save us is men and women living out God's beautiful design. What's going to save us is men being real men. Emotionally engaged. Sacrificial. Protecting men that stand up for what is right instead of sitting back. What's going to save us is godly women who are encouraging, who are the serving helpers that their families need them to be. What's going to save us is a church whose members are devoted to each other, who are helping each other live out God's beautiful design and who spread the good news to everyone we possibly can. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose... And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. So let's just not hear these words. Let's put them into practice. I mean, decide today how you're going to live out God's beautiful design. If you're visiting with us, if you want to know more about what God expects from the beautiful design, sit down with us. We'll do a series of personal Bible studies with you. But decide on one step you're going to take to be more like God intended you to be. Because you know what? Changing the world starts with changing yourself. It starts with you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your beautiful design. We thank you for the wisdom in your scriptures. We thank you that you show us what exactly you want from us as godly men and women. And God, we just pray that uh, these scriptures will really just marinate in our souls. And we will begin to think about how do we become more like you designed us to be. God, because we know that the hope of the world rests on your beautiful design. I pray that we, we send it, that we're a light to the world as we should be as a church, and that we can bring your beautiful design to as many as possible. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 